From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. A very blessed Easter for those of you celebrating this week. Uh, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, camper, RV, taxi, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. History professor John Kerner, author of Hunting the Nazarene, is standing by to talk about his controversial theory of the second resurrection of Christ. Uh, we'll get to that conversation in minutes. Uh, welcome to all of you listening in on the uh, the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, and TalkZone.com. Those who take the show with them on their smartphones and tablets by downloading the free Conspiracy Show app. Uh, those listening in, of course, on one of our affiliate stations across North America. However, and wherever you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, I bid thee a very warm welcome. Uh, please visit the live events page at strangeplanet.ca for more information on the Bilderbergs event featuring Daniel Estulin happening Sunday, April the 17th. Daniel will be on the program next week, incidentally, for a sneak preview. Uh, you can order tickets online uh, at strangeplanet.ca or go to see Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture, 1344 Bloor Street West. Or by phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696, or online, conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderbergs with Daniel Estulin, Sunday, April the 17th, University of Toronto. Come on out, it's coming fast. The mighty Aphrodite uh, just sent me this story. Uh, just moments ago, a group of scientists claim to have created a simulator which can upload knowledge directly into the brain. You heard me correctly. Directly into the brain. In a breakthrough which promises new technology like that from the Matrix, researchers at HRL Laboratories have developed a program which they say can upload new skills and knowledge directly to your brain. The California-based institution analyzed electrical signals in the brain of a pilot and fed the data to people who didn't have knowledge of flying planes via electrodes embedded uh, in a head cap, which simulated the correct regions of the brain, or stimulated the correct regions of the brain. The participants who were fed the information via electrodes were then pitted against a placebo group on a flight simulation test, which found the former group performed an average of 33% better than the latter. Wow! Are you kidding me? This is fantastic. Uh, hook me up, I say. Okay, to the main entree, shall we? John Kerner is an author of several historical books and a professor of American history. His latest book, Hunting the Nazarene, The Second Resurrection of Christ, cites historical evidence and a secret mathematical code in the Gospel of John, making a compelling case that in the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down again executed and resurrected a second time. John Kerner, how are you? I'm doing good, Richard. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Wow, this is a, uh, <laughs> a pretty controversial uh, thesis that you've laid out here in Hunting uh, the Nazarene, uh, the idea uh, that there is contained in the, in the Gospel of John this secret mathematical code uh, that lays out the case that Jesus, after he rose from the dead and, uh, you know, continued to walk the, the the earth for another 40 days, he was hunted down, executed, and resurrected a second time. Now, we'll, we'll get into that uh, in some depth here in a moment, but first I have to ask you, as an historian, this this is kind of a, a strange, not a strange, but uh, uh, a curious undertaking for an historian, because as you point out in the book, 
you know, this is not a, a, a topic that historians normally will tackle, the idea of God, you know? No, it isn't. I mean, I teach U.S. history, and I've been teaching history for about 10 years now on the college level, and there's a real fear of teaching history to be lambasted as one who just practices the faith and, and does pre- and preaches it in class. I don't do that. I want to show my students in the world that there is a way to look at history and faith from a fact and evidence-based approach, and I think my book does that. Well, because, I mean, one can make the argument that certainly the um, the Bible is an, is a wonderful historical document, and, and you know, archaeological, archaeological digs continue to, to reinforce the, uh, I guess, the, the, the veracity of the, of the Bible. Yeah, and I think, well, I've done two other books about uh, looking at historical events through a fact-based approach. I did a book about Father Nelson Baker and Father Patrick Power, two men who were known to be miracle workers. And I didn't want to do those books trying to say that they were working miracles from God's standpoint. I was trying to see if there were evidence that I could prove as an historian that these miracles took place, and also ruling out those that did not kind of fit the bill for what miracles were. So trying to look at miracles, this story about Jesus, from the standpoint of evidence, facts, and logic, and not from a believer. All right. Now, how did you go down this road? The idea that that Jesus uh, was hunted down after he rose from the dead, executed and resurrected a second time. Bef- I, mean, I have to say, I've never heard this uh, before. How did you know, uh, for example, to look to the Gospel of John for this mathematical code? How did how did you stumble upon this? Well, it's been a long journey for me, and this has taken several years to come to this conclusion. And I think if, if you look at this logically. Uh, and I would like the Vatican to, to comment on this. I, I want to challenge them to, to say, and any readers of the book, to say that I'm wrong. Because I've written the book in such a way that that every step forward, every chapter, is meant to build off the previous chapter and show how I came to these conclusions. And the first question I asked is, if Jesus was walking the earth for 40 days in flesh and blood, as it is shown in the Gospel of John, why would the Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate allow him to do that? He would still be a threat to them and they would, they would want him dead. So I, I first reached that conclusion. And then I looked into the Gospel of John, and if you read chapter 20 into chapter 21, you can see that there is a radical departure between those two chapters. In chapter 21, the, the apostles have completely given up. They've also fractured into two separate groups. And in the previous chapter, chapter 20, Jesus has appeared to them twice and commissioned them to be priests. So somewhere between that, those two moments in time, something radical happens to destroy the core leadership group and cause them to fracture apart. So I concluded that what would have happened is that Jesus would have been hunted down and executed by perhaps either the Sanhedrin or Pontius Pilate. So, so again, as you point, as you say in the book, there's this, you call it a huge narrative gap between Chapter twenty in John, mm-hmm. when when Jesus has appeared to the disciples and uh, some five hundred other uh, people, according to uh, to Paul, uh, right. and uh, you know it looks like the church is moving forward, uh, and then all of a sudden in in chapter twenty one, the disciples are are running for their lives. Right. So we can just build off chapter twenty to start there. Uh, Jesus has two appearances: one on Easter Sunday night, and then one seven days later to the apostles again, 
both of which are meant to convince them that they need to start the church. He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is important. He also tells them that God the Father himself has endorsed their actions. So all three members of the Holy Trinity have endorsed these apostles to begin the church, to start Pentecost right then. And then the very next paragraph, Paul tells the other apostles that he is committing apostasy. He says, I am going fishing. And Jesus has told them that is the one thing they, they cannot do. They are no longer fishermen. Right, right. They are fishers of men. So the, 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 the leader of the group, the co-leadership group, is going to depart to Bethsaida, back to Galilee, and give up the mission. One paragraph leader. Also, it's not all of them. It's only seven of them. So four other men are not even there. So not only have they given up, they've also split up. And I also calculated that, yes, in chapter 21, Christ appears to the apostles a third time, and he has this breakfast breakfast with them that morning, and that begins the church again. The, the apostles are once again fishers of men. Peter is recommissioned as pope and the church is given new life. So that's the 40th day, the last day Jesus appears to them on the earth. So you have day 7, which is the end of chapter 20, and day 40 in chapter 21. 33 days transpired between those two chapters. So it makes completely no sense that there would be no information given by, by John. So I speculate that a missing chapter has to be there that contains a narrative bridge that explains why the apostles are giving up and committing apostasy. They must have concluded that Christ was hunted down and, of course, executed. So, again, in in those 33 days between day 7, when he appears to them, and 33 days later, when he appears to them in chapter 21 for the third time, in those intervening 33 days, that's when Jesus, according to your calculations and your research, was hunted down, crucified again and then resurrected a second time? Well, I don't think he was crucified. I think he probably was killed in a different way. And I think that the way John tells us how they had that breakfast is how he tells us how he was killed. Uh, that breakfast Jesus has with the apostles is so key to this whole story. The, the morning of the 40th day, is a Thursday morning of the 40th day, he's breaking bread with them. And that event is in every way the opposite of the Last Supper. If you take a look at how it's written by by John, I mean, everything about it is opposite. It is a breakfast instead of a supper. They're at dawn instead of at dusk. They're outside instead of, they're outside on the ground instead of inside and at a table in the upper room. They have bread instead of fish to eat. It's a breakfast that's short instead of a long supper. She just prepares a meal for the apostles instead of it being prepared for them. Also, after the meal is over, Peter says three times that he loved Jesus, and after the Last Supper, he denies Jesus three times. So everything about it is in every way opposite right. it's of a mirror the image, right. Last Supper. The opposite, right. So, so what does that mean? Well, what go ahead, that Peter, go ahead. well, I'm trying to say that John is telling us that this meal is not just opposite, but also the same, as, as, the same importance as the Last Supper. So his symbolism here is telling us, because of how they're having the meal, he wrote it opposite in every way of how the Last Supper was written. So I believe that he's telling us then that the timing then will be opposite for the second death and the second resurrection. 
but, giving us the information right there. But any clues as to how he was killed the second time? Well, if you look at the Last Supper, Jesus has wine and bread to eat, which symbolizes his, his body and blood. That's how he was killed. Right. The body and was crucified, the blood was shed. What the, at this breakfast, with the last, with this last meal he has with his apostles, which, by the way, he does not have a meal with them in either of the two other appearances in chapter 20. Just this appearance, there's a meal. That's how important this is. This meal, they're only eating fish. There's nothing to drink. So I think John is telling us that is how he died a second time. Fish are born in water. They're reborn in water, like, like Jesus was. I think Jesus was drowned. He deliberately wanted to drown himself, and he died in water and was resurrected in water. That's how I believe John's telling us the second death took place, by the meal that he has with the apostles there. Hunting the Nazarene, John Kerner, my guest. And uh, we'll uh, take a time out here shortly and come back and continue to look at the historical evidence, including, we'll get to this, the secret mathematical code in the Gospel of John. And John uh, Kerner makes a, uh, a compelling case in the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down, executed, and resurrected a second time. We'll get back to that conversation. Uh, in just a few moments, you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serres. Stay with us. We will be right back. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. Hunting the Nazarene, the second resurrection of Christ. John Kerner, my guest. All right, so this uh, mathematical code that you found... Mm -hmm. in the Gospel of John. How did you find right. it? Very strange night I had, Richard. It was, um, it was on Holy Thursday night this occurred to me, by the way. It was a very unusual night. And I was just trying to analyze the timing here. And I was so struck by what John was saying with this breakfast. So again, Jesus has this, this breakfast with the apostles, this third appearance, final appearance with the apostles on the morning of the 40th day. And I just try to explain that in every way it is opposite of the Last Supper. So and I would just kind of explain that the apostles should have started the church in chapter 20, but they did not. They broke apart and also gave up. So I'm saying that sometime in those 33 days between the second appearance and third, there must have been this second death and second resurrection, which would have been in this missing chapter between the two of them. Right. So I would imagine, logically, that if there is this opposite importance of that breakfast mirroring the importance of the, of the Last Supper, the timing must be opposite, too. So the timing is very specific. You have 6 p.m., Holy Thursday, is when Passover begins on that Thursday night. That's when the Last Supper begins. Then you have 6 a.m. on Sunday of the resurrection morning, Easter Sunday morning. That's 60 hours. So if you take 60 hours from 6 a.m. of the 40th day and go backwards in time, that will give you the time of the second resurrection. That's my thesis. So that would be you land on 6 p.m. of the 37th day. That gives you this time of the second resurrection. We also need to go back 
three nine hours from that point to the time of the second death, which gives you one a.m. of the thirty sixth day. So if you if you play the time out in reverse order, using the same time frame from the first Holy Supper, the first death, and the first resurrection, and just bring those backwards in time, the, the timing that I get is the following order. You have resurrection number 2, 37th day, 6 p.m., death number 2, 1 a.m. on the 36th day, and you have the final meal with the apostles on 6 a.m. of the 40th day. Now, what's special about this is it plays out, again, opposite in order. So you have this second Holy Week would, would begin with death on a Sunday and a meal on a Thursday morning. The second, first Holy Week was the opposite. You had a meal on a Thursday night and your life on a Sunday. So it's all opposite. So my theory, then, is Jesus died on the 36th day at 1 a.m. and was rose from the dead a second time on the 37th day. And I can prove the apostles left Jerusalem on the 36th day without any question. And how, how would you do that? Well, again, I looked at this. I said, well, if I'm saying Jesus left, I should say Jesus died on the 36th day when he's walking the earth, I have to prove beyond any doubt that the apostles broke apart and left for Jerusalem on the 36th day. I have to prove that. Right. To make this all reality. Right. So... The, the last day Jesus is on this earth, the day number 40, again, he appears to the apostles that morning on day 40. That's his final day on this earth with them. He has that sacred breakfast with them with the fish. They're back on board with the plan. The core group is back together, and they're, they're back as, as a fighting force for Jesus. So if I could prove that they left for Jerusalem to get to, to Galilee, on day 36, then I've got it in the bag. Well, basically, you look at the Gospel of John. The apostles arrive in Galilee the day before, on the 39th day. They get there the, the night before to start fishing immediately. And the, the Gospel of John says this. So the previous day, they're fishing that night. So they arrive on, on day number 39. And the, in the following morning into the night, they, they catch nothing. Christ appears in them the following morning. So we know for a fact that they are there in Galilee fishing on day 39. So I found out through some research that it is a three-day journey to go from Jerusalem to Bethsaida. So if you go backwards in time, the, the apostles left Jerusalem for some reason on day 36. The first day of travel goes from that Sunday into Monday. That's day one. The second day would be Monday into Tuesday. And the third day would be Tuesday into Wednesday. That's three days of travel. So for whatever reason, the apostles left Jerusalem on the afternoon of the 36th day to travel to Galilee to go back home, a three-day journey, which lands them right there on the 39th day. So we can prove beyond any doubt that they chose to break up on the 36th day. The same day I'm saying the code tells us Jesus was killed a second time. The, the, supposing that this, this is all true, the question remains, you know, why would Jesus feel the need to resurrect a second time? That's a great question. I wanted to answer it in the book, too. Now, one thing I wanted to admit 
is I don't have all the answers. Okay. All I'm saying is that the evidence has led me to this, to this conclusion. And I want more people to talk about this, read the book, and, and find their own facts and evidence to support or, or you know, whatever they want to do, criticize or whatever. But I have come to the conclusion that there are logical reasons why he, he would want to do this. Uh, first of all, I think after he rose from the dead, he realized that there was probably more work to do. Otherwise, why, why stay around for 40 days? I think that he started to realize that the apostles were under a lot of threat of assassination, and that if they did not survive, then his church was not going to survive. I think he was going to suffer any way his father wanted him to. If that meant dying again for his apostles, he would do so. I think that if he showed Pontius Pilate or the Sanhedrin directly in front of them that he was the Son of God with the second resurrection, it could show them and perhaps frighten them into compliance to protect his church. Because if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, um, Pontius Pilate is nowhere to be seen. He does not assassinate the Apostles, he does not go after them, he leaves them alone. Peter is allowed to hold rallies to recruit people, and they start the church without any objections from the Romans. And I think at that point in time, it is possible that Jesus, through this second resurrection, was telling them and showing them to leave the apostles alone and let the church grow. In fact, Pontius Pilate's wife, Claudia, was a key member of the early church. And I think she may have been part of this whole plan of Jesus to start anew with her help in showing Pontius Pilate and others through this second death and second resurrection to leave the church alone and to allow it to grow. That's one theory that I have. Interesting. Um, you, you dedicate part of chapter one to talking about the importance of Judas. And I guess, first of all, let me ask you, was there a second uh, Judas? Was there a need for someone else uh, to give Jesus up the second time? Yeah, I think uh, I speculate that, that John may have played this role, that he may have been able to guide Jesus through this. He trusted him so much that Jesus was, um, John was taking care of Mary at the time. And I think as time goes on here, and Jesus realizes that, that there is this need to perhaps to test the apostles' faith, too, that if, um, you know, if he is thought to be killed the second time, or, or actually was killed the second time, that it would be a way to show them and help them work through this and to test their faith to see if they're ready to start this church and to work with them and, and through these difficult times that way ahead. So it may have been a test of their faith. Also remember that Paul got the same treatment, too. Paul was one of these people that was going to persecute the church, and wasn't that persecuting the church. And Christ appeared directly to him and showed him, through his divine power, who he was. So that may have been what he had in mind here, too, with perhaps the leaders of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and, and since Jesus, uh, according to, to this theory, was resurrected a second time, where does that leave uh, a Judas, who is, you know, seen throughout history as the great betrayer? Uh, I mean, if, if Jesus rose again uh, and was resurrected, or was crucif- not crucified, but killed again, does that not lessen sort of the, the, uh, the I guess, the sting of what Judas did? Yeah, I think it really... Uh... I mean, like, if you look at Judas, some have viewed him more as a person that would hand over Jesus, and Jesus wanted things to happen a certain way according to his plan. 
And Judas was the one that would do this. The other apostles would not have the courage to do it or understand how to do what you would want him to do. So, you know, to hand over Christ would be more of a task that this man could perform. Uh, but, of course, that was often misconstrued later throughout history, and people wanted to escape for Christ, and he fit the bill pretty well. We'll, we'll um, get into some of these other aspects in a moment, but let me just jump to this. I think it's a crucial point. Uh, and that is, I mean, if he, in fact, was resurrected a second time, uh, that would make you know, his, his power and his glory even, you know, greater, I would think. Why then expunge this from the biblical narrative? I think because perhaps only maybe John knew about this and the other apostles had no knowledge of it. Luke, of course, was not an apostle. Um, neither was Mark. And Matthew, I think, in fact, I know, was not part of the core group that left for Galilee. Only seven people left, not Matthew, when they broke into separate groups. So it's possible he wasn't aware of this either. So if John puts a second resurrection in his gospel, that is not fit with the other three gospels. It is a radical departure, in fact, from them. So that would not fit the narrative of the other three, in fact, undermine them. It would be hard to explain why that's in there and not in the other three. So the uh, when when the Bible was assembled, and I guess um, I guess I believe it was sort of completed. It was at the uh, the Nicene Council, right? Uh, was the decision then perhaps made? This is just going to be too confusing to people. Let's just keep it, you know, a nice night night neat, a nice neat tidy package. Right. One nice one crucifixion, story. one resurrection. Yeah, you can't. I think it's hard to explain to people the need for a second one. And again, if you read the Gospel of John, there is no other conclusion that you can make. You read chapter 20, and the, the church needs to begin then. The apostles have been appeared to twice by Jesus, and again, the gift of the Holy Spirit for courage. They should start the church on day seven, but they simply do not do so. And then the next paragraph, Peter tells all of them that he's giving up. He says, I'm going fishing, which he's been told never to do again. And not only that, they also break into a into separate groups. Four do not go with him to Galilee. Four other men leave for points unknown. So they not only give up, they also split up. And again, I mentioned that Christ appears to them on day 40 at the end of the gospel there, and day 7 is at the end of chapter 20. So 33 days transpire there. So who can tell me that John leaves out over a month of time and you can believe that logically. You can't do that. You can't, you can't convince me of that. I, I asked you earlier on, uh, or I mentioned earlier on, that I've never heard this before, but are there, have there been historically other researchers that have been sort of hinting at this and, and, uh, but were, well, were suppressed? Yeah. Well, if you look at it, you can piece this together. Other historians have agreed with the point that I'm making about the apostles giving up, certainly. Uh, Edwin Hoskins, for example, he knows for a fact, he writes in his, in his works, he calls it apostasy, giving up your faith. So other historians have said, and theologians have agreed with me, that chapter 21 is nothing less than apostasy. The, the apostles have given up. Uh, this is, I don't see how you can reach them in the conclusion, though, then they're giving up because of, of why. There must be some radical reason why they would do so. Another point to make here, too, is remember in chapter 20, a key figure is, is mentioned there, Doubting Thomas. Right. Jesus appears to him, shows him that he's flesh and blood. He shows him his wounds. He says, put your hands in, in my, my side, in my fingers. You know, see, see the, everything here. I'm real. I'm, I'm resurrected. 
Thomas is one of the men who also gives up in chapter 21. That is a very bad sign. Well, yeah, you, you think what is it, what a disbelieving lot. He he appears to them. He, he rises from the dead once. That's not good enough. When he's when he's hunted down and killed the second time, they give up yet again. Listen, we'll uh, we'll take a time out and uh, on the other side continue our conversation with John Kerner, author of Hunting the Nazarene: The Second Resurrection of Christ, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with John Kerner, author of Hunting the Nazarene, the Second Resurrection of Christ. John is an author of several historical books, a professor of American history. He's also the founder of Paranormal Walks. And uh, he's appeared on America's Book of Secrets on the History Channel and William Shatner's Weird or What on the Discovery Channel. Uh, and uh, this book is, uh, well, it, nothing short of controversial, that's for sure. He is uh, uh, he discusses a, a secret mathematical code that he's uncovered in the Gospel of John, and he makes a rather compelling case that in the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down, executed, and resurrected a second time. And we come back to the, uh, the point we were discussing just before the break, John, and that is uh, these disciples, what a disbelieving lot, uh, doubting Thomas, chief among them. Uh, Jesus r- rises from the dead, and uh, when he's hunted down the second time, they give up yet again. Uh, I mean, what does it take <laughs> for these 12 <laughs> no. disciples to believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Yeah, and, and the way that Jesus appears to them that third time, I think it also shows that they thought he was dead, because Peter runs to him, and John runs to him. They're, they're surprised as hell that he's there again. They can't believe he's there, that he's that he's back. They expect no one else but him, because they are shame and horrified that they gave up. And I mentioned before that, I mean, we just talked about the fact that Thomas was this key figure, this dramatic scene, the the, the man that needed to be to, to show the flesh and the wounds. He is one of the men who gave up and then went back with the other six, the other fishermen, back to Galilee. So if he's in that group giving up, that's a very bad sign. And think about this logically, uh, the other four that, that didn't go with them, we have, you know, James, the lesser, sometimes called James the Younger. We have Jude, is sometimes called, he's the same kind of name as Judas, Jude, they sometimes call him Jude. Uh, then you have Matthew and Simon the Zealot. These four people were related, probably, some maybe even brothers, but all of them were of the same kind of cut from the same cloth. Simon, James, and Jude, or Judas, sometimes they call him the same Judas Iscariot. They all were zealots. Matthew was a tax collector. So those four would not want to go with the fishermen. So if you have seven leaving for fishing for not going, that shows that there was a key split there with the apostles that proves that they were giving up. And the second part of the book I should mention, too, the second part of the book is fiction. So I wanted to try to look at all this in a fictional way, too, try to make it more real to people. And... I think that in that part of the book, you can see kind of how it plays out with the emotions of the group at the time, the infighting discussions that maybe took place with the core group, how they would have split up and where they would have went. So that's how the second part of the book plays out. Now, the other, the contemporary historians, Josephus, uh, Philo, 
Uh, are there any hints there that Jesus was was hunted down, killed a second time, and resurrected a second time, or would that have also been uh, sort of taken out of the the official record? Well, I did mention them in my book in a, in a kind of a related way that. I'm saying in the book that one benefit Christ would have seen to make himself suffer more here in front of Pilate, especially for him, is to allow Peter and the others the the breath and the space that they needed to start the church. Because Pilate was, of course, ruthless in his ability to maintain order, which, as you mentioned, is, is talked about by those two men, those historians. They talk, they chronicle his ruthless behavior crushing any kind of resistance, including the Jewish people, all throughout his time in power. And there is no evidence that he does this in the Acts of the Apostles. It is completely counterintuitive. You would think that this man who agreed to put Jesus to death to maintain order with the help of the Sanhedrin, these would definitely have been the times when he would have wanted to keep the church crushed, maintain order, and keep it quiet. The Sanhedrin would have been operating under the assumption that Jesus' body was stolen from the tomb. Uh, mm-hmm. They would have put a great deal of pressure on Pontius Pilate uh, and, and the Roman soldiers to, to, to locate the body. They would have been on the lookout for Jesus, dead or alive. Yeah, I, I really think that's how I came to this conclusion, too. I, I think if Jesus is walking the earth for 40 days, I would not be in their interest to just put their heads in the sand and say he isn't risen from the dead. They need to understand it's a fact, and he's he's still a threat to them. He's still a criminal in their eyes, and he needs to be put to death a second time. So I, w- I would I would why would they not want to hunt him down? Why would Pontius Pilate not want to kill him again? He still is a criminal. He's still a threat to order. So, given that fact, and Jesus would want to suffer, you know, to help the apostles to prove that they are worthy of the cause, perhaps to show that he's a son of God, and things we talked about before. I think it all makes some sense. It Ab- doesn't make sense not to do this. Absolutely. All right, we'll take another time out. John Kerner, Hunting the Nazarene, back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with John Kerner, Hunting the Nazarene, the Second Resurrection of Christ. Uh, the The critics might suggest, perhaps, that, well, maybe John, uh, Gospel of John, verse 21, was put in there later. What do you, how do you, I mean, how do we know that, that that's, that it was even written by John? Well, again, it took a lot of time to, to prove this in the book, too. And I think without any question, you can prove that it's, that it's written by John. All of his works always have an appendix to them. The end of all of his, the, the Gospel of John does, uh, the Book of Revelations do. I mean, he always has this second ending to all of his works. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't be written by him. Also, every time there's a key transition, moving things from Galilee to, to Jerusalem or back and forth, he always says, after this. And that starts chapter 21, the words, after this. There's also key phraseology that's definitely written by John is repeated all throughout the, the gospel. He says, Amen, Amen, I say to you. Jesus says that in that chapter, chapters before. We also know that John says that this is the third appearance of Christ to the apostles in chapter 21. So that gives us the chronology there. One appearance, two appearance in chapter 20, a 
and the third one in chapter 21. So he's timing them, one, two, and three, through chapter 20 and chapter 21. So the timing, the phraseology, the fact that it's an appendix, and I mentioned other things in the book, too, it all points to the fact that it was written by him in the right order. How is this initially? I mean, the book has not been out that long. How has the book been received? Uh, I mean, have you have you talked to clergy, uh, Catholics or otherwise, about, about your theory? Uh, not yet, but, I mean, I, I'm... The thing is, what I want to do here is this, okay? What My purpose of the book, I think, is, is twofold, okay? I, personally, I feel, felt compelled to do this, to, to follow the evidence. And secondly, I, I want to challenge the Catholic Church clergymen to read the book, look at the evidence, and tell me that I'm wrong. I want Pope Francis, the Vatican, to issue a statement about this. I believe that there is a missing chapter in the Gospel of John. I believe it's taken out. I think it's in the Vatican archives, or... It was destroyed at some point, like at the Council of Nicene. So I, I believe it, this could be made into a movie. That the world should know about this. I think it's that compelling of a story. And if the evidence is followed by me and other people, I think you can conclude the same thing. Even during the course of writing the book, some unusual things have happened to me. I mean, it's just been unusual how things have played out, personally, writing the book. Can you share some of those? Yeah, I, I, just a couple of them. I, I don't want to seem like this was... Inspired or something, but just unusual things have taken place. Uh, this mathematical code I mentioned that I figured out it was Holy Thursday night when this took place, when I was figuring out the mathematics behind it. I said, "Wow, this is Holy Thursday. This is unusual. The timing of that it's kind of serendipitous." Secondly, I was writing uh, the death scene uh, for Jesus the second time he died. And the second part of the book I mentioned is, is fiction based off the evidence of the first part. And as I was running the scene, there was this violent thunderstorm outside of my house, crashing, whitening all throughout my running the scene. And when I finished running the scene, it ended immediately. It just stopped. Wow. You were getting and a sign. It was very strange. And then um, for the past year, I have been seeing the number 66 all the time, as much as 10 to 15 times a day. Not 666 was something quite different, but right, 66. Right. And that number is an angelic number. It's a guidance number. So anyway, just, just unusual things. Um, the timing of things has been unusual. Um, and again, I, I tried to look at when I wrote the book from a skeptic's point of view. I mean, could you, could you, anyone tell me what's wrong with the book or I flawed? And I've said, well, if you can say this or that, then here's my response to it. To have an answer for you, I can say that you're you're wrong because of logic and evidence, not from faith and belief. What does this mean for Easter? Then uh, does this mean that we need to we need to perhaps invest less in the uh, in in the in the passion because it was only the the, the penultimate crucifixion or, or or death of Christ? I mean, how do how should do we need to rethink Easter? I guess is my question. I think we might have to, yeah. I mean, I think Easter may have been only the first part of his plan. Uh, why would Jesus spend 40 more days on earth if it wasn't for something important? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. There, there would need to be more that he would feel worthwhile to do in those 40 days to spend that long on this earth. And everything, of course, is according to his plan, how he wants to have things done. He would submit to this willingly. 
So the early church, of course, the fish was the key symbol for them. Not the crucifixion, not the cross, the fish was yes. what they used. Yes, interesting. That's true. So, and so the, that they may have known about this and celebrated that meal of fish, not of bread and wine, but of fish. So I think that the that sacred breakfast, what I call primus prendium in Latin, the, the first breakfast, uh, when Jesus renewed the church with his apostles, when John is telling us everything is better and everything is back to normal. Peter is back to loving Jesus. The apostles are back together. You know, everything is now as it should be. That is when they know he's back from the dead a second time. That is the moment when the church begins again. And it is such a key event there. Before that breakfast, the church was completely dead. The apostles were broken apart, and they had given up to a life that they were told not to do. And Christ appears to them a third time. They thought he was dead, and they're back to renewed life and a new commitment to him. What does this mean uh, for the gifts, communion? If it was that, it wasn't. Well, it was the Last Supper, but the, the perhaps more attention needs to be made to the final breakfast. And you say that the meal was fish. Does that mean we need to rethink, um, you know, the uh, the gifts, uh, the communion, uh, the wine, and the bread? No, I still think Jesus intended for us to celebrate that Mass. He said so, you know, in the Gospel of John, that this is his body and blood, and we should remember doing that. What may have been key here to, to remember is this may have been just for John the Apostles to know about. This may have been just an event for them to celebrate and them to know about and to remember. Uh, the fish, the breakfast, the importance of it was for them, for Pontius Pilate, and the the leadership group to, to to use among themselves for renewal. So perhaps it's not appropriate then for the church to have celebrations of fish because it's really only meant for that core leadership group to, to know about and to use. That might be the way you can get around having to celebrate meals of fish all the time. <laughs> Uh, how does the uh, explain the the uh, the second resurrection? Um, I mean, how how do, how do you think that played out? Was he placed well, in another tomb? Uh, how does it play out? I would, yeah, I would suspect that if the crucifixion did not work the first time, that Pontius Pilate and the Sanhedrin would be reluctant to try that method again. Also, um, Christ tells us how he's going to be killed in the, in the Last Supper. You have the bread, and you have the wine. That's his body and blood. So John tells us at this breakfast, at the third appearance, that the, all they eat is fish. So if we're looking at the opposite there, as I mentioned before, the importance of the Last Supper right. and the first breakfast, and they're eating fish, then I'm saying that that is, that is Jesus' body there. That he's showing the apostles this is his body, and they're consuming his body, the fish. So the fish is unique because the fish, like Christians, is born in water. It's reborn, it's baptized in water. So what I'm saying here is that John is telling us that is how Jesus died a second time. He, he died in water. Right. It was, he died and was reborn in water. That's, that's the symbolism there. And, and how about the, resur- the, the second resurrection? Yes, I'm saying that he, he rose from the dead a second time in water. In water. That's how okay. it would have happened. Would, would, and, and, would it have been instantaneous, or would it have been... I mean, of course, the resurrection took three days the first time. Any ideas to right. how... Yeah, the timing would play out separately it's in the same way. So that you get the timing, it's 39 hours from 3 p.m. on Friday 
to 6 a.m. on Sunday. So you go backwards in time, 39 hours from the 37th day into the 36th day, the day before, 39 hours. Right. According to my mathematical code. So, again, it's just go through this again. So you have that first breakfast, the 40th day, it's 6 a.m., then you go backwards in time, 60 hours to give us the time of the second death. That's the 37th day, 6 p.m. Then you need the 39 hours before that to give you the time of the first death, which is 1 a.m. on the 36th day. I'm just trying so to imagine. Time. Right. It's all the same time from the first time. You just take the same times from the first Holy Week and just backwards it in time in the second Holy Week. You begin on the morning of the 40th day, and you just go back in time with the other with the same time frame. But I'm just trying to imagine, would after he was drowned, would he have been, do you think, placed in a tomb again, and that tomb once again sealed and, and heavily guarded and so forth? Or I would think that the way I had this in the second part of the, of, the, of my book, I way I portray the scene. And again, when I wrote this, as I mentioned, thunder, lightning crashing down right, outside right. my house. Um, Christ willingly brings himself to Pilate to his chambers with the Sanhedrin there. He calls them together, and he basically gives them an ultimatum. He, he tells them that it is time to stop persecuting his church, and he's going to show them firsthand that he's the Son of God with his second resurrection. And he brings himself into this pool of water. He allows himself to, to drown. And then the following day, he rises from the dead on the 37th day. That's how I have it played out. And then I mentioned in the book that that 36th day, when this day is happening, according to my mathematical code, the apostles left that day from Jerusalem to Galilee. And we said it's a three-day journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. And they arrive on the 39th day. So we know for a fact they chose that day to leave and give up. The day I'm saying the code gives us for the second resurrection, right. for the second death, rather. It all plays out according to the, to the math. Are there any clues, do you think, to be found in the Apocrypha or uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls or even uh, the Talmud or maybe the, uh, the, uh, the books that were uncovered, I believe, in the, uh, in the Sinai? Was that the Nag Hammadi? <laughs> well... The one thing I want to point out, too, that's possible, but is, would it be covered up again according to this plan I'm talking about to make sure this was not known about? Also think about the, uh, the creed. Why does it say that Jesus rose again from the dead? Why is the word again in there? Ah, interesting. The word does not need to be in there. Interesting. That may be a clue of what we're talking about here. We read the Apostles' Creed, and you read the Nicene Creed, the word again is in there. And in fact, I put that in Latin in the book, um, the Latin version of the Creed. Well, they were a little and sloppy, no weren't they, not uh, not getting rid of that again? Yeah, <laughs> 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 they shouldn't be saying he uses rose from the dead. You should just say he uses rose from the dead, rose again. So I think that might be one way we can point to some clues that are out there. Uh I know this isn't the subject of your book, but uh, Easter can't pass without me mentioning uh, the Holy Shroud, which I think is, you know, the most uh, debated relic probably ever. Uh, any thoughts on the Shroud of Turin as to its authenticity, uh, since we're talking resurrection? Well, yeah, I've looked into that quite a bit, and the one thing that, that bothers me is that when people talk about the evidence about when they did the 
Japanese trying to they, the shroud back in time. They picked part of the shroud that was destroyed. It had been burned and handled by a lot of people over time. They picked the worst part to do the, the, the analysis. Right, they, they did the carbon dating on a on a piece yeah. of patchwork. Yeah, I mean they they picked the worst part to do the dating with. And if you look at the evidence of it, it looks like it kind of matches with what you know Christ you know would have looked like his height and weight, and the matches up the passion of where he was. You know, the crown of thorns, the stab on the side, it, it seems authentic. But what's interesting to me about it is you may have seen this, um, they did a program where they tried to figure out what, what the face would have looked like. Yes. In the yes. And that is striking. You can see Jesus' face, and that I think is worth checking out if you haven't seen that. Absolutely. Well, John, this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating thesis, and I congratulate you and uh, invite listeners to pick up a copy of Hunting the Nazarene, The Second Resurrection of Christ, and Making Up Their Own Minds. Very quickly, how can people get a copy of the book? They can get the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. My website has my contact information. I'd love to talk to anyone about the book, perhaps make this into a movie. Barnumalwalk.com is on there, contact information. I think you have that on the website. So please do contact me and please read the book. John, thanks very much for this. I enjoyed it. Richard, thanks for having the courage to have me on. I appreciate everything you've done. Thank you so much. John Kerner, Hunting the Nazarene. All right, that's it for us. Thank you to uh, Ian, Albert, John Franz, all of you for listening back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.